If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them, please, once again to the book of Malachi. We are doing a sermon series through this book, but this morning we're going to make it more topical than expositional, as we're just going to look at one verse, verse 6 of chapter 3. The title of the message, Some Things Never Change. In a changing world, there are some things that never change. Malachi speaks of them to his people. He speaks to us today of these things. Malachi 3, verse 6, Malachi speaking for the Lord, says, For I am the Lord, and I change not. I am the Lord. You don't make me Lord. I am Lord. And because I'm Lord, I do not change. I change not. Fears. The medical community calls them phobias. And we have been told by those who are experts in studying fears or phobias that there's over 2,000 different kinds of phobias that you can have personally that might require psychiatric treatment or medication. Now, I know all of you keep up with all of this, but I'm just going to review this for you quickly. Let me give you some of the latest phobias that are out there. And you can thank me later if you have one of these. There's butter phobia. This is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. People with this phobia, they run from peanut butter. You show them a jar of skippies and they're out the door. Then there's photophobia. People who have that are afraid to have their picture taken. They're afraid they're not going to look good in that picture. And then there's argyle phobia. This is a fear of a soft, fuzzy sweater. And whenever you see one, they take off. Then there's zoophobia. That's the fear not of a dog or a cat. That's the fear of a wild animal, like lions, tigers, and bears. <laughs> then there's Furby-phobia. That's the fear of these little toys that come out at the holiday season. You know, those little toys that sing and dance to music. We had one at our house, Frankenstein. Maybe you remember him years ago. Hallmark brought him out for Halloween. And Alyssa, our oldest granddaughter, was little at that time, and she wasn't supposed to go up the steps, but when you tell them they're not supposed to do something, that's what they want to do. And so we, she was constantly trying to slip up those steps of our stairway. So we got Frankenstein from Hallmark. And Frankenstein danced to Monster Bash. And she didn't like him. 
Maybe she had a phobia of him then. So we put him on the second step of the stairway. And she never went there anymore. Maybe she had a phobia phobia. But she got rid of it when she got older. Then she'd beat up Frankenstein and throw him around. But there is a phobia phobia. There also is a ho 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 phobia. That's the fear of spending too much for Christmas. There's also the latest one. This is the very newest one that just come out, according to psychiatrists who are treating people for this. There's politicophobia. That's a fear of a politician. <laughs> well, this morning, we're going to talk about a fear. A fear that many of you might have that's a general fear. A fear that perhaps causes you to struggle with life sometimes. What fear am I talking about? I'm talking about the fear of change. Our world is changing dramatically, radically, and rapidly before our eyes. Things that once were yesterday are not today. Things that are now today probably won't be tomorrow. And when change comes as rapidly as it's coming, as radically as it's coming, it affects us. Some people say, well, only the old people don't like change. I can tell you nobody likes change. We all like to stay in our comfort zone. We all like to be around things that are familiar. And those comfort zones and those familiarity zones are hard to find today. And so when change comes, we get resentful, we get resistive, even try to just run away from it all, and you can't run. I'd like to give you three changes real quickly that are taking place for all of us. Three changes that every single one of us right here are dealing with or will deal with, and we're probably going to be somewhat fearful of these changes. The first change is in the speed of life. The speed of life. I know it's impossible chronologically. I know it's impossible scientifically. But I really believe the older you get, the faster life becomes. I can remember when I was eight years old and the Sears catalog came to the house. That's when Sears was financially solvent, by the way. And that they, half of that catalog was toys. And my brother and I would take the catalog and we'd begin to circle all the things we wanted for Christmas. We'd do that about 67 times before Christmas and ended up really circling the whole catalog but back in those days, time moved so slowly. Life was so leisurely. It seemed like it took forever for Christmas break, Christmas time, spring break, summer vacation. It just everything just dragged on. And now, some years older, <laughs> life is. Ding! I mean, you just get over one Christmas, and here's the next. I mean, life is just fast. 
The speed of life is fast, not just for me, but for every single one of us. Our world is a full throttle, pedal to the metal, rapid acceleration world. I mean, think about it. When our colonists, July 4th, 1776, decided that they were not going to be taxed by England without representation, and they chose to show their displeasure by breaking away from the English, from the country of England, even if it meant war. When all of this was going on, July 4th, 1776, the King of England didn't know a thing about it. He was across the pond, as you say. It took him six weeks to hear about all of this before he could even respond to it. And then it took him another six weeks to get his response back to America. Twelve weeks went by, and there was a revolution taking place. And what he was supposed to do took 12 weeks to figure out. Now think about our world today. How quick is it to get news out? I mean, you can do it within 30 seconds. Headline news can be around the world in 30 seconds. Gossip can be around the world in 30 seconds. Opinions can be around the world in 30 seconds. And with all of this speed, all of this acceleration, all of this full-throttleness, people are impatient, they're impolite, they're angry, and they're hostile. We don't want to wait 30 seconds at a red light without saying something. We don't want to stop at a stop sign. We just kind of roll right through it. Those doors that turn, we get mad if we can't get on with the other person in front of us, and we got to wait. The speed of life. Heard the story about a man who went to his mailbox three times in 20 minutes. Each time he came out of his house, he ran to his mailbox, opened up the lid, looked in, and then he grimaced, clenched his fist, mumbled something under his breath that wasn't nice to say, flipped the mailbox shut, went storming into the house. He did that not once, he did that not twice, he did that three times in 20 minutes, storming to his mailbox. Well, on the fourth time, he came out with his computer. Y'all know what a computer is? <laughs> and he went to the front yard, and he threw it on the grass and busted it all up. Then he stomped on it. Act of rage. Well, his neighbor, who's been working in his yard next door, has noticed all this. Three times, going to the mailbox, opening it up, looking in it, slamming it closed, saying something, storming off, and now the fourth time he comes out with the computer, busts it up in the front yard, steps all over it. Well, the neighbor comes up to him and says, I perceive that you're a little bit upset. And the man said, I am, anybody would be. This stupid computer has told me three times to check my mail and there's nothing in it. 
We live in a world of speed, and when that speed doesn't suit us, we get mad. We also live in a world that is changing, not only because of the speed of life, but changing because of the simplicity of life. Can you you remember back, some of you, when life was simple? Life was easy. Those days are not no more. Everything in life is now multiple choice, multiple selections. I mean, it's just pretty overwhelming. What used to be could done on one application of one piece of paper, now they give you 68 pieces of paper. I was thinking back. My wife and I were married in 1978, and if she would have came to me and said, Jim, I'm going to the store. Can I pick up something for you? I'd say, yes, please. Would you pick me up some, uh, some shaving cream? Could you do that? She'd say, sure. I mean, that's pretty simple. Need some shaving cream? She'd pick it up, bring it back. Now, let's fast forward to 2018. Jim, I'm going to the store. Can I pick you up anything? Yes, you may. I'd like some shaving cream. Well, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Come here. Would you like Edge? Would you like Gillette? Would you like Schick? Would you like Barbasol? Would you like Noxzema? Or would you like Equate? Which one would you like? Uh, uh, Come here. Normal skin or sensitive skin? Fragranced or non-fragranced? Skin conditioning agents or no additives? Do you want white foam or blue foam? Menthol, moisturizing, or medicated? I just want shaving cream. That's the world we live in. we're, We're involved in this change as our world dramatically speeds up. We're involved in this change where there is no more simplicity. Complexity is the name of the game, even in shaving cream. And we also see change coming in our fixed values. The things that once we were so certain of are now being contested and challenged and change before our very eyes. Wow. Remember when you used to go and fill out an application and they would ask you your gender? Well, that was easy. Didn't take a whole lot of thought, did it? If you're male, you checked male. If you're female, you checked female. I mean, pretty easy. But all of that's changed, hasn't it? Now you sit down to the question of your gender and you have a male box to check or a female box to check or a bisexual box to check. That means that you could be male and female all at once. And then you have the homosexual box you could check that says you're a man but you like men and you're a woman who likes women. Or you got the non-sexual box you could check that says you're not a he or a she, you're just an it. Then you got the variable gender box you could check that says, I woke up this morning and this is what I want to be, so I'll check that. But I might wake up tomorrow and not want to be that, so I'll check the other. And then you got the transsexual gender box that says, this is what I am now, but I'm in the process of changing that, so next week I may not be that. And I'm not making light of these dear people who are so confused. I feel sorry for them. 
But that's the world we live in where things that once were so different are now changing. The slowness of life has been replaced by the speed. The simplicity of life has been replaced by the complexities and things that once were fixed morally and spiritually are now variables in everybody's mind and heart. In the midst of all of this, we need islands of stability. The waters around us are chaotic. But you and I, if we're going to survive and even thrive in this world of change, then we need something to hang on to. And we need something to hang on to us. If we don't have that, what happens to you when you're on the tram and you don't have something to hold to? You fall in somebody else's lap or you fall on the floor? It's what you hold on to that gives you the stability to stand when everything is fast and shaky. What are some things that God would have us to understand are called islands of stability? Three things I want to give you real quick. Three things that will never change. No matter how fast life becomes, these never change. No matter how complex life becomes, these things will never change. No matter what people say about moral and spiritual things, these things will never change. What are they? The first thing that will never change is God's love. God's love will never change. Do you know that in verse 6 of Malachi 3, the Lord declares, I am the Lord, and I change not. Now, I want you to think with me just a moment. The Lord gives us his characteristics in the Bible. We just don't figure out who the Lord is. The Lord tells us who he is. The Lord gives us his names, and the Lord tells us of his characteristics. Okay? The Bible tells us that the Lord is omniscient. That's a big theological word that means he knows everything. God knows everything. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you're feeling right now. He knows what you're saying. He knows what you're doing. Not just for you, but for all the billions of people in this world. He knows everything. He's the most advanced computer ever known. And he's not a computer. He's a person. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. Not only is he all-wise and knows everything, he's all-powerful and can do anything. There's nothing that God can't do. He's also omnipresent. That means that he is in every place that he created, and he created everything. Yes, he sits on a throne in heaven. He's a king. But he's also everywhere there is in his creation. There's no place you can go that God is not there. 
This is God. He's omniscient. He's all-wise. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere, but he's on a throne in heaven. He's also holy. The God of heaven is holy. He has no flaws. He has no faults. He has no blemishes. He has no spots. He has no imperfections. He's absolute holiness. He's also eternal. He's timeless. He has no beginning. He has no end. Think about that. You say, where did God begin? He never began. He's always been. He'll always be. There is no past to God. There is no future to God. He's an I am. He's the God of the present, and every day is present to him. Now, why do I tell you all that? Because God also has another characteristic, and we get it from Malachi. Malachi says the Lord is immutable. That means he never changes. He's all-wise, he's all-powerful, he's everywhere, but he sits on a throne in heaven. He's holy, he's eternal, and he's immutable. That means he never changes. We change. Some of the pictures you saw of me last night, I've changed a little bit. Don't you laugh. If we looked at your pictures, we'd say the same thing. You say, Pastor, are you better now than you were then? I don't know. But we change. But God never changes. And because God never changes, his love for us, help me out, never changes. God loves you. You know that? God knows you, but God loves you. See, if I knew you, I may not love you. (laughs) If you knew me, you may not love me. But God knows us. And he declares that he loves us. God doesn't change in his character, nor does he change in his love for you and I. He doesn't change. Why should perfection change? He doesn't need to change. And he doesn't change in his love for us. Jeremiah says his love for us is forever. He calls it an everlasting love. The psalmist says his love never changes. Not only is it forever, but it never changes. It's absolute. Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and following, tells us that we're going to face many things in life. We're going to face tribulations and distress and persecutions and famine and nakedness and peril and sword. We're going to face death and angels and principalities and powers and things of the present and things to come. We're going to face heights and depths and all kinds of other things. But whatever we face in this journey we call life, he will love us. There is nothing we can do to make God love us more. Listen to me. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. This will make your life much easier if you'll ever grasp that truth. Because some people believe that in order to make God love me more, I need to worship him better. I need to give more. I need to serve more. I need to tell more people about him. You should do all of that. 
But his love for you isn't going to change no matter how much you do. And his love isn't going to change for you no matter how less you do. God loves you and I at the highest level. He loves us forever. He loves us unchangeably. He loves us inseparably. He loves us. You got that. And he not only talks about how much he loves us, did he not show us. Look right there. For God so loved the world. Put your name in the world. For God so loved Jim Palmer that he was willing to give his only beloved begotten son, Christ Jesus, to die on a cross for me, that if I would believe in him, I would not perish in a devil's hell, but have everlasting life in heaven. In this ever-changing world we live in, grab hold of it. God loves you. Nobody else may love you, but God loves you. So don't say you're unloved. You are loved. God loves you. And that will never change. Second thing that will never change is the Word of God will never change. God's Word will never change. God's love will never change in our rapidly changing world. But God's Word, the Bible that you hold in your hand, will not change either. You say, is that what you believe, Pastor? Well, I believe it, but it, I don't believe it because I thought it up. The prophet Isaiah said, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Jesus said of, him, of his Bible, of his word, he says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Peter writing in 1 Peter chapter 1 says, The word of God will live and abide forever. The word of the Lord will endure forever. This Bible you hold in your hand does not contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, all in between, this Bible is inspired. That means it all came from God. Yes, human men wrote the Bible, but they wrote the Bible based on the revelation that the Spirit of God gave them and the guidance of the Spirit of God as they wrote the words. The Word of God is not only inspired, it's infallible. That means this Bible that you have in your hand is absolutely without flaw, absolutely without mistake, absolutely without anything in it that is not true. This is not a science book, but when it speaks of scientific things, it is accurate. It's not a medical book, but when it speaks to medical things, it is accurate. It's not a history book, but when it speaks to historical things, it is accurate. Do you understand that? Our society changes. This book never changes. It's absolute truth, it's infallible, it's without error. It's also complete. Everything God wants us to know is within the pages of the Bible. There are no extra books, there's no extra revelation. That comes out of cultic religion. 
Don't you fall for that nonsense that there's other books that are just as equal to, to the Bible. That's not true. This is it. Everything God wants us to know, He has put in the Bible, the Word of God. It's full, it's finished revelation. It comes from God. It has no error. It's full, it's finished. And this Bible is a super book. You can't see the S on it, and you can't see the cape on it. But this Bible is a super book. Now, Superman had a weakness. It was kryptonite. This Bible has no weakness. It's invulnerable. It is going to be here forever. Are you listening to me? It will be here forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God will always be. It's also contemporary. It not just talks to people about things of the past, it's talking to people right now today. It's just as relevant now to this crowd that is listening as it was to any group of people listening in the past. It's also authoritative. What it says is true. The Bible is the Word of God. That will never change. You say, Pastor, what about these legalists and cultists that try to add to it? What about these liberals who take their scissors and try to cut out parts of the Bible because they say it's not true? What about these skeptics and scoffers who laugh at it and mock it? What about these atheists and agnostics who try to destroy it and wipe it off the face of the earth? What about these foolish eggheads who call themselves professors, who tell our young people that the Bible's origin, the Bible's veracity, and the Bible's validity is no more? What about them, Pastor? I'll tell you about them. You listen to me. They'll be dead and in hell, and the Bible will still be here. This Bible is like the little bunny with the batteries in him. It's just going to keep going on and on and on. You can join these foolish, wicked men and women and believe what you want to believe, but I'm telling you, the Bible is the Word of God and it will never change. And then lastly, we're talking about things we can hold on to and can hold on to us in a world that is quickly changing, rapidly changing, and not for the better in so many ways. We can hang on to the love of God for us. We can hang on to the Bible, the Word of God for us. And then lastly, we can hang on to the purposes of God for our life. I hope you know you have a purpose today. People who believe in evolution don't believe that. But you are a created being. And God created each and every one of us with a plan and with a purpose. And then when God saved our soul, He carried on another plan and purpose for our life. You are a person that has been created and redeemed with purpose. I like what Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many devices in a man's heart, but it's the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. What that simply means is, God has a purpose for your life. And He wants to bring that purpose to pass. 
Now, what are God's purposes for our lives? Because that's a question many young people ask. What's the purpose of my life? Well, I can tell you what the purpose of all of our lives are. First of all, God's purpose for your life and mine is for us to give our life to Jesus. It's not God's desire that any man should perish, but all should come to life. I know there's a theology out there that said God picks and chooses who he wants to be saved. I'm telling you that's not true. God loves us all. Jesus died for us all. The Spirit of God calls us all. Now we have to make the choice. That's true. And the choice you make is what God will honor. I've always looked at salvation as like an election. God votes for you to be saved. The devil votes for you to be damned. Guess who's going to cast the deciding vote? You are. I am. We can choose Jesus or we can choose the devil. We can choose heaven. We can choose hell. We can choose life or we can choose death. The choice is ours. But God's purpose for our life is that we give our life to Jesus, put our faith in him and him alone, repent of our sin, be born again, as the Bible says, and enter in on the narrow road of life. Why is it called narrow? Because not a lot of people make that choice. I hope you have, though. And from that purpose, which is called justification, salvation, comes the next purpose, which is sanctification. Not only to give your life to Jesus, that's the first purpose, but the second purpose is to live our lives for Jesus. That's called sanctification. That means living your life in such a way that people see Jesus in your witness. They see Jesus in your worship. They see Jesus in your service. They see Jesus in your giving. They see Jesus when you read the Bible. They see Jesus when you pray. And each and every day they see more of Jesus as the work of the Spirit progresses in your life. Pastor, what's my purpose? Your purpose, number one, is to give your life to Jesus. Not a religion, Jesus. And then it's to live for Jesus. To join Him, not only on the narrow road, but the highway to holiness. Walking with Him. That's called sanctification. You say, Pastor, that's a Pentecostal word. No, it's a Bible word. <laughs> it means to be made like Jesus. We Baptists would do good to listen to some of these words. And then the third purpose, are you following it? You've got to get saved, give your life to Jesus. Then you live your life for Jesus. But one day our lives are going to come to an end, right? Then we continue our life with Jesus. You know, when you die as a believer, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. The moment you close your eyes in death as a Christian, beep, you open them in heaven. It's that quick, just like that. The purpose of the Lord is that we be justified, get saved, we be sanctified, we live for Him, that one day we can be glorified and be just like Him as we behold Him. That's God's purpose. Threefold purpose for every one of us. Now, I guess the question you would ask is can we reject God's purpose? Can we say, Lord, I don't want to be saved? Can we be foolish and arrogant and sinful and just say, Lord, we don't want it? Go away. Yes, we can. 
Can we neglect God's purposes? Can we become procrastinators and ignoramuses and lazy and just say, Lord, we, we're not interested in doing that right now? Yeah, you can. But that's God's purpose for you. But once again, you make choices, and what you chose to do has consequences. I've said many times, you can make the choice, but you don't make the consequence. I can choose to blindfold myself and walk down the center of Miles Road at midnight tonight. I can do that. You know I can do that. I just put the blindfold on and just walk out there. But I'm not free to choose the consequence of that stupid choice, which is probably I'm going to get knocked to Lincolnville. I'm free to go to the top of MUSC and jump off the hospital. Do a swan dive off the Cooper River Bridge. I can do that. You can do that. But I'm not free to choose what's going to happen when I hit. The pastor will be a scrambled egg. You see, we can make our own choices, and God has purposes for our life. What we do with those purposes is up to us. One more thing, and we're through. Pastor, I've rejected him. I've neglected him. But I'm sitting here this morning, and I want to come back to him. Can I do that, Pastor? Absolutely. He's the God of a second chance. You know... I've used 50,000 second chances in my life. I'm working on my next 50,000. Every day with the Lord Jesus is a second chance in many ways. As he forgives us of our sin and gives us a new opportunity to live for him. So maybe you're here today and you've pushed away salvation. You've lived for the devil. I'm telling you, you can come today and settle all that right now. You can come back. God's love, without it, you're going to be angry. God's word, without it, you're going to be confused. And God's purposes, without it, you'll be empty. In a world of change, can we hold on? Hold on to his love. Hold on to his word. Hold on to his purpose. Heads are bowed and eyes are